Hello, Georgia, and hello, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the April 12th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show is brought to you as a service of Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, where we proudly provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. If you have not already, please follow Local Matters on Facebook. There we feature all episodes of Local Matters as well as informative articles and other things that will help you become more engaged. Today, our guest is Jim Hunt, and he is the author of a book entitled Amazing Cities. And he is going to address what makes a city truly amazing. We'll also talk about restoring trust in government. And we'll talk about some of the risk of becoming an elected official. However, before we get to Jim, I want to tell you about an upcoming event in our community. That event is a community conversation on policing, knowing your rights. It's going to take place at the Gilbert Lambeth Memorial Chapel at Payne College, Thursday, April 20th. And yours truly will be moderating that session. Uh, this session has come about as a result of a partnership between the Zeta Xi Omega chapter of, of Alpha, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, uh, the Phi Chi chapter of Chi Eta Phi Nursing Sorority, and the Augusta Alumni chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. So please try to make that Thursday, April 20th, 6 p.m. Payne College Chapel. Local Matters family, today we are joined by Mr. Jim Hunt. Uh, Jim is a senior director of Bearing Advisors, and he is a former mayor. He's written a book, and he's going to share a lot with us in terms of where local governments are, um, how we build civic engagement, build trust. And um, but we're going to start off by first just welcoming Jim to the show. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks, Janice. And I think the uh... You know, I've always loved the local government side of things. I mean, we can get frustrated on other levels, but in local government, we're just uh, blessed to be able to work uh, in this field. We sure are. We sure are. And I want you to start off sharing with our listeners uh, more about your book, Amazing Cities, and what you think makes a city truly amazing. Well, you know, uh, over my career, I spent 27 years as an elected council member and mayor in Clarksburg, West Virginia. And uh, uh, so during that period, and then I've spent the last uh, 12 or 13 years after getting out of elected office doing consulting with communities across the country. And I felt that one of the things I always thought when I first got into local government, when I was first elected, was where's the, the handbook? You know, and I looked around and there's, you, and of course, back then that was before Google. So you didn't have Google to call, but you know, you'd look and you'd think like pretty much if you uh, became an equipment operator, there's a manual of how to run uh, the equipment effectively. And so it seemed to me like there has to be this rule book or instruction manual to how to serve on a local government and how to be effective and really do a great job. 
And unfortunately, that doesn't exist. And, you know, a lot of times the people, the qualifications for entering local government can be as much or as little as you have to be 18 or above or no education requirement, no experience required and all. It's what the voters feel is needed in that community. And um, so it's a daunting thing. And many people that I've found across the country uh, have shared that with me. They say, you know, what can you do? And so I wrote the book, The Amazing Cities, uh, uh, Cities Seven Steps to Creating an Amazing City. And when I did it, I did it with that in mind, was that if I were a uh, council member, a mayor, a city manager, a, a citizen interested in local government, what components make that up? What's the, how do you get better? And, uh, and so I used experiences. I, I've been very fortunate uh, in my local government career to have gone. I led the, I was president of the West Virginia Municipal League, uh, served on every committee available and, you know, all of that. And then I moved on to the National League of Cities and became the only West Virginian ever to hold an office an a, a officer role with the National League of Cities. And I was sitting then next to Tony Williams, the mayor of Washington, D.C., Bart Peterson, the mayor of Indianapolis, uh, you know, some of the leaders throughout the country that you would know, almost every one of them. And then little old Jim Hunt from West Virginia come along and and the stars aligned, and I went through uh, that process and became the president of the largest organization representing cities, towns, and villages in the United States. And that gave me a perspective where I thought, you know, when I read a book, I want to know that the person knows what they're talking about. Now, that doesn't necessarily, you know, I don't know that I know that, but being president of the National League of Cities, I was able to visit 34 different states during my uh, three years as first vice president, second vice president, and president, and got to see and talk to people all across the country in large cities and small cities and find out, you know, what does it take to be amazing? And uh, I went to places like Fairhope, Alabama, a place that hangs flowers downtown that you'll never see more hanging baskets in a downtown area than Fairhope, Alabama. I went to Rock Hill, South Carolina, and my good friend Doug Eccles, who was mayor of Rock Hill, uh, Doug took me on a tour, and I got to see, like, you know, behind the curtain on a lot of this stuff, and Doug went through a way that Rock Hill became amazing, and I told him that, uh, and he asked me, he said, Jim, do you know where Rock Hill is? When I first met him, and I said, absolutely, Doug. I said, when I drive up Interstate 77, the entry to Rock Hill is one of the most impressive on when you get off the interstate, you think you're heading into the most amazing city that ever was because they have a beautiful entry and it's got flowers. It's got these brick arches that goes up. It says, welcome to Rock Hill. It just made you want to visit. And I stress this to local government officials, even from the smallest of small cities throughout the country is that if the entry to your community doesn't look inviting, people will drive right by. And much like if, you know, you meet somebody or whatever, you want to have an impression from someone that says, this is a person I want to meet. I want to talk to this person. Well, cities and towns are the same way. And if you look at your town and it says, 
you know, we get used to it after a while and you need sometimes, and I would encourage this to people listening, um, sometimes go to visit another city and go into city hall. And if there's a council member there, the mayor or whoever, and I do this all the time, people think it's impossible, but you can do it or go to the chamber of commerce and ask, what are the things that make this community amazing? And a lot of times when you ask that question, every the pat answer that I get from thousands of city officials is it's our people. I said, every community I've ever been in has got people. They said, well, our people are better. I said, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, what about seeing the first this or the, the this building that's historic or we've restored this theater or that we have more red roses than any other community like Lancaster, South Carolina, where my daughter lives, the red rose community. Um, uh, you know, so you, you look at that and you say, what is it that I can tell someone, here's a reason to visit. And if you can't find that reason to visit, um, then, you know, then look in the mirror and say, the problem is me. We got to get our stuff spiffed up. I was down in Waxhaw, North Carolina, and you've probably visited Waxhaw at point. You know, um, they just get it. They the the downtown has a train going right through the middle of it, still does to this day. And you would might think, boy, if a train's coming through the middle of town and they're dirty and they got smoke going out and all of that, that's probably not the best tourist attraction. In Waxall, they made it into something because as train travel has decreased and all, to go to a community and see what it was like years ago and then to go to a first-class restaurant to have little gift shops and things like this, and there's not litter everywhere and they have signage that shows you where City Hall is and where the library and the theater that's what makes a town amazing. And that's where I've been, you know, uh, all across the country. I can tell you stuff that's amazing in towns across. And you're just thinking, what's all the other communities that aren't, that don't feel like they're amazing? It's all, oh, we live in a terrible town. Well, if you're investing your time as a citizen or as a council member or a mayor and that, you don't, I don't think you want to say, I'm going to spend eight years of my life or 10 years of my life, and it's going to be all for naught because we're a rotten town. You want to have a plan. You want to have a goal. You want to identify what members of the community are willing to, you know, come out on a Saturday morning and clean up a park or a sidewalk, things like this. But those are the things that make these communities amazing. And it doesn't take being in New York City or Chicago or places like that. That's most of the uh, most amazing towns that I've seen are populations of 5, 10, 15, 20, 25,000 people. Okay, great. Well, that offers some hope for us, Augustans, because, you know, we got all sorts of train tracks running through the middle of town. So <laughs> right. we're going to have to find ways to capitalize on that, too. And as, as you talk, you, you focus on some things. You talked about people. I want to get to uh, what people can do to help governments become better and more responsive. And the term we use uh, here on Local Matters is becoming a more engaged citizen. This whole notion of uh, civic engagement um, and helping improve your quality of life by virtue of your engagement and participation. So 
how are good cities uh, using the energy uh, from their uh, residents to improve? Well, let's look at kind of the private sector, you know, that are, you know, fast food restaurants, other products and things. So I think some of it's a branding issue. Some of it's getting our message out to the public. One of the things that I find, and I'm called, you know, called constantly where people say, oh, we've got a lot of disruption in our council, at our council meetings and all, and we need some help. And I always ask, you know, number one, <clears throat> is the council, is the governing body setting a good example? Are we customer service friendly? When someone comes to City Hall, do they, you know, it, you know, do they have to go through 18 levels to get a, a question answered? Are our websites confusing and not user friendly? Because quite honestly, and I think most of the listeners uh, to, to this podcast would recognize if you go on to a website for a local business or a national business and you cannot transact your business, you probably won't go back and it will frustrate you around the brand. So I think from cities that you have to look, I ask a lot of times when I'm giving a speech, I'll say, how many in the audience who are generally city officials, mayors, council members, staff for cities and all, I'll ask them, how many people have been on your the city's website in the last five days. And very seldom does a hand go up. And if there is one, it's a couple hands out of, you know, 200 people. And I said, this is your welcome mat on the digital world. This is how the public engages. If you go on and are not paying your garbage bill, the fact that you're always in city hall and you drop the check off at the, at, at Dolores, who's the clerk that handles that, your customer experience is not what the public is getting generally. And you want to sometimes put yourself in the role of the public. Are they being frustrated? Is there a good way to complain about a pothole, a abandoned building and things like that? And actually go on to the website and report something, you know, do something like that. And if it looks a little clunky or if it seems like it's difficult, then work to improve that because the public will very quickly, they won't tell you, but they will definitely vote with their feet. They'll either move, they'll either become disinterested, and we want engaged citizens to, that will come out and work for the benefit of the city. And I'm a big believer that, you know, running meetings, and I do a lot of work about, you know, effective council meetings, and that is that, you know, we can't, display the worst behavior on city councils across the country and scream and holler and all of the stuff that goes on and expect when the public comes that they're going to treat us really respectfully. And so in that regard, having, you know, and a lot of times people don't like to follow rules. They don't like, but I'll give you a little antidote from years ago. When I first got elected to city council and I was a young person at that point, and I went in, and then after I was there for a little bit, I was getting a little sloppy. I was getting lazy. I'd come from a meeting, or I might be working out, and I'd say, oh, i got a conference session at 5.30. I'd just run in, and sometimes I'd have a sweatshirt on or something, and I'd say, well, nobody's here. You know, I don't need to be, you know, always dressed up. And I looked over, and I saw this fellow who was a real estate agent in town. He served on council with me, and he was my one of my mentors. And he was impeccably dressed at every council meeting that I ever went to. And 
So I didn't, I never, I don't think I ever told him how much I appreciated the fact, but he sent a message to me that I thought if he can go and get himself ready, and he always appeared to be the ultimate professional. When I look around, I said, man alive, if we all took that upon it, that this is an important thing, we value our public service. The public then that comes and addresses counsel will have, can have some respect for you. But if you're not engaged with people, when people come up and they look up and half the council is on their phones looking at something else while some citizen is there, you're you're going to get a tough road to hoe to try and figure out how you're going to make things work because the public gets that. And I think from a governmental standpoint, always look to yourself first, to your colleagues and say, what can we do better? to transmit a positive professional image of our community. Even if we do have problems, we're going to stay professional in that way. And staying professional is a very, very important thing uh, for all of us. Um, Do you think that's one of the things that can help uh, rebuild some of the trust, frankly, that has eroded between the public and uh, elected officials? Yeah, I do. And and one of the things, in, you know, when uh, years ago I coached Little League baseball and occasionally you'd have a kid would come up and, you know, he'd have the bat and he would strike out and he was all upset about it and he'd throw the bat. And you're like, oh, my goodness. And here was the thing. I always after I reflected on it, I thought this he didn't learn this from his fellow players because they were all instructed not to do it. He learned that off of. Major League Baseball. He learned that where the manager comes out and kicks the dirt on the base and all. And though, so that's where, in terms of like you look at it, you think, listen, we're unfortunately being impacted by what's happening nationally and on state level and that. That doesn't just because other folks choose not to be professional and run an organized dignity meeting. Uh, doesn't mean you have to be that way. And generally, when you go across this country, a local government, I think, stands out for the amount of uh, of professionalism that does occur. But I will say this, as all of us know, if you Google city council meeting, it is not a primer on how to run a great meeting. It's where someone did something foolish. But there are 18,000 towns, cities, and villages across the country Our percentage, I mean, there's some real bad eggs out there, but I think by and large, when you look every night of the week, there's some local government that's effectively doing their work and they're following, and that's why they work. I mean, when you go into an amazing city, when you go into some of these places that looks like it's doing great, it's generally because the staff have been bought into that, the elected officials, and even the citizens have realized we just don't act that way when we're upset, we solve problems. We don't make problems. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, and I'd like to uh, just kind of give a backdrop. It feels, I don't know if it feels this way to you, uh, but I'd like to get your opinion on it. I don't know if I was um, just not keeping in my, keeping my eyes open, you know, a couple of decades ago. But it appears as if the degree of trust in local government has eroded over the last 
uh, few years, uh, maybe due to what you're saying in regard to some unruly council meetings and things like that. Um, but have you? do you have the sense that the level of trust is the same or if it's dropping or even increasing over the last couple of decades? I think it's, uh, you know, I'm an optimist. And, and I when I look back on the past, I always reflect on how, how I was contributing to the positivity. And I have to say, you know, in 27 years of, as a local elected official, there were times when I thought, you know, I probably could have done a better job. And so I look at that and I think that, um, you know, uh, the society has changed somewhat. I don't blame that, though. I think when you look around and see, some, generally, let me give you just an overview. Mostly local government historically have been made up of people who have completed their career as a banker, a lawyer, or this or that, and then they get ran for local government. So you saw, you know, gray-haired people generally, um, you know, generally white males sitting up at these councils and they'd take the picture and it looked like, you know, it was like out of a magazine from 1920. But here's the thing. When you have, I think, a more uh, local governance, the most diverse government in the country, when you look at what's occurring. And so granted, um, you know, when you when I look optimistically, I see now young people and older people sitting at a table where they each have an equal vote. That never happened 30 years ago, right? It was just to see that somebody was young coming into local government was just an anomaly. It was like somebody died and then it was someone's you know, child that took the position. That's the only way young people ever accessed local government. Right now, local, you know, a diverse group of people are running local government. They are young, they are old, they sit at a table and they discuss issues that 30 years or 40 years ago, they wouldn't even dare to bring up in a local government meeting. And so I think sometimes people are judging us on that, that we're having difficult conversations. We're dealing with difficult issues and we're talking about it where the constitution and our charters and everything else encourages that discussion to take place, which is in public you know, that most bad things that happened 40 years ago, it never reached the public sector. It was hidden in a back room. Now, a lot of those discussions take place. And I'm optimistic that I think we're on a path that's going to be productive. I think sometimes if people are judging the fact that they say, geez, you know, look how bad it is. I said, listen, you know, sometimes I don't get along with my own kids or grandkids. I mean, how would you like to be sitting there in an elected position somebody's 70 years old and another person's 21 and they each have the equal vote, you know, when that happens, that's an amazing thing. And I think when we recognize what we have in this new world where we say, listen, this is unlike anything before, I think it's an inspiration. And it's a reason to be optimistic for people. Okay. I love your optimism and your enthusiasm for the work and for our, our future. Um, there is the one thing I feel like we have to discuss. Um, over the last couple of weeks, I think there have been two instances where council members in the state of New Jersey have been shot. I know the, the woman, the young woman, very young, I think she was in her 30s in the first instance, actually died. I can't recall if the gentleman most recently who was shot, if he also passed away. Um, but 
just the notion that uh, people who have taken the responsibility of serving the public in that way, you know, running for office, being successful in, in earning those offices have wound up, you know, wounded or dead because of that apparently. And, you know, we don't know all the circumstances. I know I haven't researched in detail uh, since those incidents happened. What, what did you think when you saw that? Well, I think it, once again, I think history serves us best sometimes when we want to look at what's happening today. And, and you know, these tragic incidents hopefully are not a trend. Hopefully it's not a signal that things are, you know, that there's this animosity is getting worse. But, you know, during my tenure with the National League of Cities, I met some incredible elected officials and uh, uh, one of my best friends in the National League of Cities was a fellow named Michael Lynch. He was on council in Kirkwood, Missouri. And Michael was at a council meeting one night. And I can remember it like it was yesterday when I read the news that came that he was shot at a council meeting along with the mayor and another person, uh, I think the city attorney, and Michael passed away at the age of 63. When that discussion came up, much like we're talking today, we said, oh my goodness, this is something. And I went to my next National League of Cities meeting and I was sitting next to Ron Loveridge, who was the mayor of Riverside, California. And I would have never known it, but years before, Ron was also shot at a council meeting and survived. A person came in, was upset, and, you know, and we sometimes we give too easily to say they were mentally ill. I think anyone who would shoot another human being is somewhat mentally ill. But uh, Ron was also shot at a council meeting where someone came in looking for one of the officials and he stood up and they shot him. Um, but it is a part of our uh, business. Uh, it's something that I think, uh, you know, every if I was sitting on the local government, I don't think we need to put up a plexiglass screen or bulletproof screen between us and the public because that's an overreaction because this doesn't happen all the time. But I do think that, number one, when that those incidents occurred in our council, we did not have any uh, panic buttons under our tables that if something did get underhand, you know, you're sitting in there vulnerable and, and the building generally where we sit, as you well know, doesn't have any exit doors behind it. So, you know, I think common sense, but let's hope that these incidents uh, you know, that the people that uh, if they were wounded, that they survive and the tragedy of losing someone uh, like that. But let's hope that that's not a trend and that, you know, we make but we do make reasonable accommodations that that's not an un, uh, that's not something that will never happen, because in my life, I've experienced it on several occasions. Wow. Wow. We just got a little bit of time left. Um after having served as an elected official, after having uh, researched and lived, immersed yourself in the local government space over a couple of decades now, um, if there's one piece of advice you have for local elected officials, what is it? Well, Janice, I'll kind of, <clears throat> you know, I'll say something that sounds like I'm patronizing to you, but I would say this, is that when you're in local government, um, you know, it, it is imperative that you work with staff and you treat staff respectfully. I think over the years that I've been involved, the saddest things that 
uh, that has ever happened to me is when a staff member would come and say, I cannot work in this environment because of Councilman Smith or Councilman Sosa, or I don't like the idea that I'm being made the scapegoat for a problem that council <laughs> created or whatever. And if you're a, a person in local government, um, you own your mistakes, you own what happens, and, and your staff is out there working every day making the lives of citizens better. We get this governing side of it, and we should never break that with our staff, that we always have their back and we'll take care of issues that we need to. But an elected official has to be in that position, and if something breaks, by golly, stand up and take accountability for it and pledge to fix it. Thank you so much. And listeners, I promise I didn't tell him to do that. <laughs> did yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> staff that is actually right. I have known many staff people to just say, I either don't want to come to council meetings anymore. I'm looking for another job. I've got to get out of here because I cannot stand working with ex elected official XYZ because they are so disrespectful toward us or they scapegoat us, as you described. So that is a very legitimate thought that that we, um, as uh, people who've worked in local government, have from time to time. And I appreciate your acknowledgement of it. Uh, this time has gone so quickly, but thank you again. This is Jim Hutt. Uh, if they want to uh, see your book, please tell them where they can find it. Just go to amazingcities.org and you'll be able to uh, you'll find my face on <laughs> on that website and it'll have all the information and also links to other important things for local officials. But I uh, would love and anybody would like to engage. And sometimes I just get a question from out of the blue from someone that will say, hey, I heard you on the podcast. What 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 about your thoughts on this? I'd be happy to do it and uh, love being on this show, Janice. You're doing great work. It brings value to uh, local governments everywhere. And I'm just uh, pleased to be one of your guests. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jim. Next week, we have another interesting conversation with Joseph Turner. He and I are both local government professionals, and we're going to talk about what city managers and administrators do all day, as well as some of the ups and downs in the profession. Thanks so much for being a part of the Local Matters family. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.